0: Good morning, it's good to see you all. What's the point? What's the point? It's probably something that you've heard said or or that you might say yourself quite a lot. Very often when, when people don't see the point of something, they just go, what's the point? And they'll lose all motivation to actually do the thing that they're doing. Could be if you have children, it could be that if you don't know what the point of brushing your teeth is, you're going to struggle to do it. Definitely experiencing that with my kids at the moment. If you don't know what the point of doing scales on the piano is when you're learning the piano, you're going to really struggle to sit there doing your scales over and over again. If you don't know that the point is that you get to play this instrument beautifully after practicing. If you don't know what the point of something is, you're going to really struggle to really commit to it. And my suggestion is that if you don't really know what the point of the church is, it's gonna be quite easy when times get tough because times do get tough in church life to just think, you know what? It's gonna be a bit easier for me to just sit on the edge, maybe to attend, but not really belong, throw myself in. Or you might find it, it may be tragically that you're in a situation where you've had to leave a local church because of the way that that local church has fallen so far short of what Jesus has designed for the church. And that's completely appropriate at times, but it may be that you're now finding yourself disillusioned I'm thinking, should I just give up on the church, the people of God altogether? Should I just do my own thing with Jesus? And um, if you don't see what the point of the church is at moments like that, it can be very easy to just think, I'll just give up on the church altogether. Well, the passage we're going to look at today, we're in a series on Ephesians. We're going to be in Ephesians 3. I'm going to read verses 1 to 13. The passage that we're looking at today was written by the Apostle Paul, who was an early church leader. And he knew what it it was to experience difficulties in church. You just read some of his letters, you will realise some of the difficulties he faced were pretty big. But actually, I think you'll struggle to find someone who loves the church as much as the Apostle Paul did. It just comes out in everything that he writes. And I think one of the reasons that Paul loved the church, the people of God so much, is that God had showed him what the point of the church was. Not just some of the benefits that you get from belonging to a particular community, but what the actual big ultimate purpose of the church was. And that captivated him so much that he thought, I'm going to give my life to serving this group of people. And so we're going to read Ephesians 3. We're going to read verses 1 to 13. And as we're reading, see if you can spot Paul's short summary of what the point or what the purpose of the church is. So let's read the word of God together. Ephesians 3. which is your glory. This is the word of God. And Father, we pray that you would help us to uh, submit to your word now. We pray that you would help us to uh, delight in your words. We pray that you would teach us. I pray that you give me clarity as I speak. Lord, I pray that your words would be spoken, not my opinions. And I pray that you would help us to be equipped, built up to love the church and to love Jesus more and more. Lord, we pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. So what's the point of the church? I wonder if you spotted it. If there's a a part of this passage where Paul spells out, here is the purpose, here's the point of the church. And it's in verses 10 to 11. It's the climax of the passage, really. And Paul basically says in these verses, he says he does all of his hard work. And if you know Paul, you'll know that he has worked very hard for the different churches that he's involved in. But he works really hard, verse 10, so that through the church, the manifold or multicolored wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord. What's the point of the church? Yes, the church is meant to be a place where we experience community. The church is meant to be a group of people who do good to one another. It is meant to be a place of safety, absolutely but none of these are the ultimate purpose of the church. They're a little bit more like, um, bad analogy, but you'll get the point hopefully, like, like comfortable seats on a train. The, the seats are not the point of the train, but they're part of the journey. But the train's going somewhere. The train's heading to an ultimate purpose. And as wonderful as these blessings are that we delight in and enjoy, the point of the church is even bigger than that. The point of the church, Paul explains in these verses, is to show off God's amazing wisdom to angels and demons and spiritual powers. That is the point of this. That's the point of this gathering and the many, many other gatherings that are going on around the world at the moment. And many, many that millions and millions of people who worship Jesus as their saviour. The point of this is that demons and angels and spiritual powers look at what is going on And they say, oh my goodness, God is so wise. How has he done this? That's what history has been heading towards. You notice in verse 11, Paul says that this happened according to God's eternal purpose. So before there was a world, before there was a you, before there was a Peterborough, God said, my purpose is that through the church, through this people that I'm going to create because of Jesus, angels and demons and spiritual powers will look at this people and will marvel at how wise I am. That's what the, whole, the climax of history is about. In fact, if you read all the way to the end of your Bibles in Revelation 21 and 22, some of you might be quite familiar with the beginning of Revelation 21. So the last two chapters of the Bible, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. And we love that description of how New heavens and new earth are gonna be a wonderful place and we're gonna live there forever. But did you know that the last two chapters of the Bible, there's only a few verses that actually describe heaven or new creation. The majority of the last two chapters of the end of the Bible are given over to describing the church. It's almost as if John, who wrote Revelation, is saying, yes, I did see a new creation and it was wonderful, but let me tell you about something greater. Let me tell you about the people of God that Jesus has has redeemed for himself. That's the point of this. Is that your vision? Is that your vision of what the church is? Because my suggestion is that if you have anything less than the cosmic display of God's wisdom to angels and demons as your vision of what the church is about, it's going to be very, very tempting when times get tough to just give up on the church altogether. All you'll need is a particularly difficult conversation or a particularly tricky member of the church, and you start thinking, isn't it just potentially easier for me to just do my own thing? But imagine what would be the case if we operated with that vision of the church. Imagine if I operated day-to-day with that understanding of what the church is about. That would make a massive difference to the way that I live day-to-day. It would make a massive difference to the way that I interact with brothers and sisters in Christ. That's the kind of vision we want. And my prayer is that that would be the kind of vision that we get as a result of God working through his word this morning. So that just as the Apostle Paul was captivated by that, we could be too. And that we could increasingly say, when we gather on Sundays, when we gather in life groups, when we pray, when we spend time with one another, when we have meals together, when we cry with one another, when we laugh with one another, we can say, you know what we're doing? We're demonstrating to demons and angels how wise God is. That's a glorious vision of what the point of the church is. But at this point, you might be thinking, that sounds great, but how is it that the church demonstrates God's wisdom? It's all well and good to say the church demonstrates God's wisdom to angels and demons. What is it that angels and demons see that makes them go, God is so wise? And the answer to that is a few verses back. We need to rewind in verses four to six. So let's reread verses four to six. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So how does the church demonstrate God's wisdom? Paul says, it's a mystery. Which point you might think, well, that's not helpful at all, Dan. What why is it a mystery? Like, does that just mean no one understands? The angels and demons are looking going, yes, oh my goodness, God is so wise. And demons are going, oh, I'm quaking. My, I hate him, but goodness me, he's wise. But no one understands. Well, that's not what Paul actually means by the word mystery. When we use the word mystery, we tend to mean no one understands. It's a mystery. That's kind of the definition of mystery, really. But in the Bible, when the word mystery is used, what it actually means is something that up until a certain point, no one knew. And then after a particular point, God showed or revealed what that mystery actually was. That's what Paul says in verse five. He says, this was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets. He's saying, you read the Old Testament, there are hints of what this mystery might be, but nowhere where you really get a sense of what it is. But now the Holy Spirit has revealed to the apostles and prophets, of which Paul is one, what the mystery is. And that mystery is is in verse six. It says that the Gentiles are fellow heirs. So non-Jews are fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Paul is saying that because of Jesus, Jews and Gentiles become one people and that Gentiles actually get to be fully part of God's people. And you might be sitting here and thinking, yeah, duh, we know that. You don't need to be a Jew to be a Christian. We knew, we've known that for ages. Why is that a mystery? Why on earth is that a big deal? Well, for us, 2,000 years on, that's pretty standard. We know you don't need to be Jewish to be a Christian. But actually, if you live back in Paul's day, and you remember that the Jewish people were God's chosen people in, in the Old Testament, and you remember that Jesus was Jewish, and that the apostles were Jewish and that the earliest Christians were Jewish, this was a massive deal because Paul is coming in and saying, do you know what? We have operated with an understanding that to be part of God's people, you need to become Jewish for centuries. And God is saying that because of Jesus, you don't need to become Jewish to become part of God's people. It's revolutionary. The question isn't, are you Jewish? The question is, do you belong to Jesus? Fast forward 2,000 years, the question isn't, are you British? The question isn't, are you middle class? The question isn't, are you white? The question isn't, are you of a particular social standing? The question isn't, do you come from a particular class background? Those are completely irrelevant. The question is, do you belong to Jesus? And if you belong to Jesus, you belong to the family of God. And that's what angels and demons look at and go, how did God do that? How did he take groups of people who would never coexist together, Jews and Gentiles, enemies, and bring them and make them part of the same people? Wow, God is wise. That's what angels and demons, I'm sure, are currently, from wherever they are, are currently looking at gatherings like this all around the world. And they look at the people of God, made up of Jews and non-Jews, men and women, old and young, British, French, German, Moroccan, Pakistani, Afghani, Chinese, American, South African, Congolese, Turkish, Malaysian, Russian, Ukrainian. And they say, how on earth did God bring these people into one family? He is so wise. That's what the purpose of the church is. That's what the church demonstrates. That's what you and I are part of. And in a sense, the angels and demons kind of get a little bit of a privileged seat at the moment. They get to see it all going on. One day, we're going to get to stand before the throne of God and see that glorious vision as well. Revelation 7, verses 9 to 10 says this. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Through the church, the multicoloured wisdom of God is made known to rulers and authorities. That's the point of it. That's the point of the church. And that vision of the church drives us in a way that the benefits of being part of the church don't. If you're driven by that kind of vision, it makes a massive difference. What kind of ways does it make a difference? Well, there's many that we could go into. And actually, there's a number that Luke picked up on last week as he looked at Jews and Gentiles being reconciled at the end of chapter 2. But that vision drives us. It might drive us to welcome those who aren't like us. So you think, you know what? This is going to be really uncomfortable. Um, I'm going to decide to talk to this person who is nothing like me. But what's driving me is, as I do that, I'm demonstrating the wisdom of God. It may be that you find yourself in a position where you're a a cultural minority or perhaps a, a minority in terms of the background that you come from. Can I encourage you, this kind of vision can encourage you, please bring everything that you are to church. In fact, say that to everyone. Please bring everything that you are to church. Express who you are. Express what culture you come from. Express what background you come from. We will have blind spots. I say that as a member of a leadership team that is predominantly white middle class. We will have blind spots and there will be moments where we do things as a church that actually when you step back, you look at it and you think that's more British than it is church. We need one another. We need one another to express fully who we are so that yes, it's wonderful. We get to experience diversity. There's a joy in that, but at an even bigger level so that angels and demons look at this church and go, how did God do that? How on earth did he do that? So those are many, there's many, many ways in which this can drive us, but the one that I really want to land with is what well, I think the one that this passage lands with, which is to remember that what Paul is doing in this passage is actually to explain to the Ephesians why he preached the gospel to them as non-Jews in the first place. So this amazing theology, this kind of riveting, glorious truth of what the church is about, Paul's telling the Ephesians that because he's reminding them, this is why I came to preach the gospel to you. In fact, Paul talks about himself as a steward in verse two. He says, assuming you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. He's saying, I'm a little bit like a postman. I've been given a letter, the gospel, and it's of huge benefit to me But actually, I don't get to just keep it. I need to give it to the person it belongs to. If you're a post, a a post for Royal Mail and you've got a thing to deliver and you keep it for your own benefit only, you're going to get in serious trouble with the law because you are a steward. You're someone who is meant to be passing this on to someone else. And Paul's saying, I realise that when Jesus revealed this mystery to me, it wasn't just for me to go, wow, isn't that great? The reason Jesus revealed this mystery to me is so that I would tell the non-Jews that they are welcome into God's family in Jesus. And I think that there's something for us here. Obviously, there's a certain extent to which this is Paul's specific mission that God has given him. But I think there's a principle for all of us to recognise ourselves as stewards, as postmen and women. To say, actually, God has given us a vision of something glorious that's gonna drive me to share this with other people. That's gonna drive me to share with those who are around me in Peterborough. That's gonna drive me to share with my colleagues and my friends at school or my family, to tell them about Jesus because how is it that we end up in a position where the church reflects all of the diversity of Peterborough, all all of the diversity of the world? It's by people like Paul and you and me proclaiming the good news of Jesus to them And as they respond to the gospel, they become part of the family and angels and rulers and demons look on and go, God is so wise. That's how the church grows and that's how God's multicoloured wisdom is made manifest. It's been amazing over the last few months to see so many people baptised. So many people baptised from so many different backgrounds. Many of those people were baptised because you told them about Jesus. It's so encouraging to hear those stories. Can I encourage us? Let's allow that vision to motivate us, to tell people the good news of Jesus. And maybe for some of us, it may be that this vision motivates us in such a way that we say, I I see that vision of the church demonstrating God's manifold wisdom. I heard that passage of Revelation 7 being uh, being read out about all nations and tribes and languages around the throne of God I feel a a sense of burden and urge to go and tell people in another nation who have never heard the good news of Jesus about him. It may be that for some of you, that's actually what God is working in your heart right now. And we would love as a church to send more and more people to places where Jesus has never, ever been named. Did you realise there are hundreds of places around the world where the name of Jesus wouldn't even be known because no one has preached the gospel there before. And Paul was driven by this vision to proclaim the good news of Jesus to people that had never heard it. I wonder if some of you today might have that same burden, might have that same vision. And to, there's an extent at which I want to allow us to finish this by allowing the Holy Spirit to speak to us. And so we're going to sing a song. We're going to sing Salvation Belongs to Our God. And the reason we're going to sing that is because it's based on that vision from Revelation 7 that I read about all nations gathered around the throne. And as we're singing this, I'd love us to open our hearts to God, to do it almost as a, as a bit of a, Lord's, here I am. Allow, please allow yourself to speak to me in this moment, that God would speak to us, that he would motivate us, that he would envision us with this particular vision of what the church is about. And it may be that for some of you, as we're singing that, you are captivated by this vision of particular nations coming to know Jesus. It may be that you hear God put a particular nation on your heart. If that's the case, can I encourage you, hold on to that, pray about it. Come and share it with your life group leaders, share it with those of us who are in church leadership. And we're gonna do that. And as we sing, can I encourage you, let's open our hearts and let's allow the Holy Spirit to cement this glorious vision of a church. So Father, I thank you for the good news of Jesus. I thank you for the fact that you are bringing together a people from every tribe and language and nation and people group and that angels and demons are looking on and going, oh my goodness, God is so wise. And Father, I pray this morning that you would envision and motivate us. I pray as we sing now, as we reflect on this glorious vision of the end where all nations are gathered around you because they've responded to Jesus. Father, I pray you would motivate and envision us to tell others about the good news of Jesus. But Father, I do also pray And I want to ask that you would stir individuals here for particular people groups, some of whom may be present in Peterborough, some of whom may not be. And I pray that you would motivate us out of that, not a sense of guilt, but out of that glorious vision of what the church is about. We love you, Jesus, and we want your name to be glorified and honoured in all nations. Amen. Well, why don't we stand, let's worship, and let's allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us.